Our scripture reading this morning is from Daniel 7, verses 15 through 28. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than his companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. But... The court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion of the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. This is God's word. New Jersey was tired of being the brunt of jokes. So in 2017, they sponsored a campaign to spruce up the state's image with a new slogan. And most were quite positive, but a few had a bit of a sarcastic twist. New Jersey, we can always use another relative on the payroll. <laughs> New Jersey, why should death end your voting rights? Come to New Jersey, it's not as bad as it smells. I didn't write these. Churches are trying so hard to attract people that they're willing to become home, home on the range where the deer and the antelope play where never is heard a discouraging word and the skies are not cloudy all day. 
Are we afraid or reluctant to teach a negative message for fear of driving people away? This has echoes of something that Paul once told Timothy. This is in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Basically, it's describing... And I actually read a, a quote uh, this week from someone. I don't care if it's right or wrong. Teach me what makes me feel better about my life. And what Paul is telling Timothy is that the church is moving or will move to a place. The world will move to a place. I don't care what's right or wrong. Just make me feel good. So here's my question before we start the passage that was just read. Do you want to hear from God, even if what he has to say is bad news? When God tells us bad news, it is an act of grace. A couple examples. You remember when that guy who smelled like a fish named Jonah showed up at Nineveh? And basically he said, you've got 40 days. That was bad news. But the people repented and demonstrated, God, we recognize what we've done. And that bad news served a good purpose and Nineveh was spared. Sometimes God gives us bad news about undesirable consequences for good behavior. For example, there was a prophet by the name of Agabus and Paul was en route back to Jerusalem after the third missionary journey. And Agabus, this prophet, took Paul's belt and wrapped himself up in it as if he was being constrained by the police. And he said, this is what's going to happen to this man when he goes to Jerusalem. That was bad news. Everybody thought, oh, God's telling us this so that you don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul said, no, no, no. God is telling us this so that when it happens to me, you're not shocked and appalled. He wanted them to brace for impact. There are moments when what God says is going to create fear or anxiety, even panic. But that's not a bad thing. I often watch a weather report precisely because I want to hear some bad news. <laughs> now, this is not about wanting something bad to happen, but wanting to understand something bad that is going to happen. And so my anxiety actually propels preparation. I wish I had known when we had the big freeze that I needed water bottles in my house. I realize it's been a while since we've worked through Daniel. You know, it's, that was last year that we uh, finished with uh, the first half of chapter 7. But let's do a little review, okay? In the first half of chapter 7, Daniel had a vision of the future. And he saw a succession of four great kingdoms that were depicted as beasts. These earthly kingdoms were replaced by an eternal kingdom with the Son of Man on the throne. 
Now, that seems like a story with a deliciously good ending, and it is. But there was something about this vision that Daniel found profoundly disturbing. And Daniel's panic attack is described in verse 15. He says, as for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So what he saw was creating alarm. Have you ever had a dream that created a panic? I mean, I had one of those a, a couple weeks ago. I told Rochelle about it. Uh, and I, I still remember it. It was so vivid. I was doing a wedding for someone, or at least I was scheduled to do a wedding for someone in about 15 minutes, but I didn't know who it was that I was marrying. And so I was going, and I, so I was talking to people, who's getting married? I don't know. Who's getting married? And so I'm freaking out. <laughs> well, on a much greater scale, this is what Daniel was experiencing in his vision. He, he had the vision, part A, and he is alarmed. Now, alarm is an Aramaic term, so I can't look at the whole Bible to understand it, but it is found in the Aramaic sections of the Bible, and I can find a couple places where it's used. For example, in, Nebuch in Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar, who saw this dream, remember, of when he had to go out in the field, was alarmed by his dream. He saw this tree, you know, that was felled and just a stump was left, and he was going, ha, ha, ha. And when Daniel heard Nebuchadnezzar's account and realized what it meant, Daniel was alarmed. Fifteen years in the future from the date of this passage, Daniel was going to use this same term to describe the countenance of Belshazzar when he saw the handwriting on the wall. He was alarmed. So in Daniel 7.15, this is not a case of mild indigestion. This is something super scary. He is freaking out. Now, Daniel's not alone in feeling overwhelmed by a prophetic vision. For example, in Jeremiah 4.19, we read this. Uh, now, this was an instance where Jeremiah saw something and he was so taken aback. He said, my soul, my soul, I'm in anguish. Oh, my heart. My heart is pounding in me. I cannot be silent because you have heard, O oh my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Jeremiah was given a prophetic preview of what was going to happen to Jerusalem, and he was utterly undone by it. In Daniel's case, he is not alarmed because he is confused. He's alarmed precisely because he understands. Listen to what he says after the explanation that he receives. This is the last verse in the chapter. He says, at this point, the revelation ended. After he'd heard more, he started out, he was alarmed. And then he had a dialogue with a bystander. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me. In other words, his alarm quotient actually went up. And my face grew pale but I kept the matter to myself. The more clearly Daniel understands this vision, the greater his alarm. Why? So are you ready to unpack what Daniel saw? 
if you understand this vision, you will find it unsettling, even alarming. But this vision is intended to be a message of grace that warns us of a coming storm. What Daniel saw hasn't happened yet. It's in the future. Daniel is alarmed by the vision that he saw in the first half of the book. And so he seeks some additional information. I need to clarify something for me. So we have the bystander's first report. He says in verse 16, I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. So he's still in this vision that began in the early part of the chapter. Uh, he's just seen the, the Son of Man be crowned and there's myriads and myriads surrounding the throne and so he goes up to one of them it just says someone who was standing by so as a bystander and he says hey can can I ask you a question about what's going on here so I'm assuming this is perhaps a an angel but he's, he's in the vision he's seeing himself in the vision go up to this person and ask the question and here's what he says these great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings and will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. So this bystander basically says, this is what you're looking at. Now, he does supply two bits of new information that are not found in the first half of chapter 7. First, he says, these four beasts are four kingdoms. They're four kings. And another bit of new information is this. The saints receive the kingdom too. When the Son of Man comes to receive the kingdom, the saints, the God folk, also receive that kingdom. Now, I can in my mind, I can hear what Daniel is saying after the bystander has given him this account in which he hasn't said a lot more than what he already saw. He says, okay, I got that. But what is the deal with this fourth beast kingdom? He is freaking me out. So he asks another question of the bystander. And in this one, he spells it out in precise detail. What is going on with this fourth beast? This is scary. So here's what he says. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it, the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, and before which three of them fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth, uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Now much of this account from Daniel, he's saying, bystander, explain this to me, repeats the description that's found in verses 7 and 8 in which he saw this. The beast is strange, terrifyingly different from the previous three beasts, he has teeth of iron, claws of bronze, devours, crushes, tramples. In other words, this beast is built for domination and leaves a path of destruction in its wake. There are ten 
horns on the beast, but then something happens. Another horn, horn grows, which replaces three of the ten. And this horn surpasses the others and becomes dominant. I'm going to call him the super horn. And this super horn has human features, notably eyes and a mouth. He sees and he speaks arrogantly. Now, so far, this is repetition of the things that Daniel's already said. But then he has a new detail. He's recalling, look, I want to understand this, but he tells us something that he didn't tell us in the first account. This superhorn declares all-out war against God's people and is winning. The rampage of this superhorn will not conclude until the Ancient of Days, which is God, intervenes and delivers a verdict in favor of the saints and gives to them the kingdom. Now, the conclusion is good. The saints rule with the Son of Man. But this last chapter, in which there is this beast, Daniel is aghast as he looks at this and says, what is going on here? He wants more detail, specifically as it relates to this super horn. He's saying, help me understand what is going on here? So the bystander gives him some additional information. And he says this. Thus he said, the fourth beast will be the, a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise. And another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in time and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, and they as the saints, they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Now let's unpack this answer. There's actually ten things that we learn here. The beast is a kingdom. Now, he's a, he's a person as well, but he's a person who is the embodiment of a kingdom. And this kingdom is going to shift the paradigm of what it means to be a kingdom. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. You know, we think of a kingdom as territory and a ruler. Is this some kind of kingdom that is, you know virtual in some way I don't really know but whatever whatever the paradigm is it is going to be switched in some way the kingdom will be global in its reach entire planet the kingdom will be driven by consumption and domination it's going to be consuming and dominating the kingdom will initially consist of a ten kingdom confederation but at some point, point number six, uh, a new king is going to rise to power. He's going to defeat three and take the lead of the whole. Number seven, this one's sobering. This king will actually declare war against God and war against any who align with God. 
This king is going to say, I am going to take on God. <clears throat> and, I'm, and anybody who's on his side, they are in my sights. He's going to alter the calendar in ways that support his anti-God campaign. And I don't know what that means exactly. Now, you know, is he going to make it illegal to celebrate the birth of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, a punishable offense? Could be. Uh, number nine, he will redefine what is right and wrong. He will ad advocate pride for things that God contem condemns. Here's something that God says is sin. And he is going to say, no, we're proud of that. And he will make it illegal to do things that God says are holy and necessary. And then number 10, this one's kind of an irony. Although he presumes to rewrite the book on time, he's gonna, you know, I'm, I'm going to work a new, whole new calendar, he is going to be constrained by time. He's going to be limited to less than one term compared to a U.S. president. Now, the president, U.S. president is four years. He's going to have three and a half years. The word time, he says time times half a time, is the same word that is translated in many contexts, year. So a year, years, and half a year, which could be one plus two plus a half or three and a half. And he will be given that moment. In other words, God is going to allow him to do his thing for presumably three and a half years. Daniel is not the only one to have caught a glimpse of this future. It's coming. It hasn't happened yet. So here, 600 years later, John, an apostle of Jesus, wrote this. And he wrote this based upon a vision that he had. He was caught up to heaven, chapter 4. And this is a part of what he saw. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns, seven heads, and all his, on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like those of a bear, his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, which is a reference to Satan, gave him his power and his throne and great authority. So this is actually a kingdom which is energized by Satan. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain. And his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. This is amazing what he's done. And they worshipped the dragon. They worshipped Satan because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war against him? He's amazing. This is yet future. It is coming. Now, this is the bad news. Here's the good news. But the court will sit for judgment and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all 
the dominions will serve and obey him. The superhorn kingdom is going to fail. It will be given a season. But God will at some point say, time's up. And Jesus will say, enough. Everything connected to this kingdom will be totally erased. There will be no trace of it. To the people of true holiness, which that's just another word for saints. These are people who are committed to God's holiness because they're committed to God. They will be given the right to rule all the kingdoms under heaven. The saints will serve and follow God for all eternity. Now, this is such a stunning conclusion. I love the conclusion. But the last chapter, that's a doozy. So Daniel has now heard this, and it says, At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me. My face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Daniel is now greatly alarmed. He was alarmed, and then he got this explanation. Now he is greatly alarmed, not because he is confused, but because he knows. Uh, a few, well, I guess now a couple months ago, I showed you a, a master chronology of the book of Daniel. And the first six chapters, which are kind of biographical, walk us through different events. And then we, in chapter 7, we start with the visions. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but the vision in chapter 7 is in the first year of Nebuchadnezzar's grandson's reign. He is the same one who 15 years later will see the handwriting on the wall and will be a part of the end of the Babylonian Empire, at least its supremacy. So this vision that he has just received is 15 years before Babylon falls. That's when the handwriting on the wall shows up. So Daniel's got some time. He, he kept the matter to himself, he says. I didn't tell anybody. And you're probably thinking, well, then how come, <laughs> how come we know about it? Hmm. Apparently, something happened later that prompted him to actually publish this vision. Wonder what that could be. Stay tuned. Bottom line. Daniel saw a gathering storm for God's people. Unprecedented. In other words, it has never been this extreme. Prevailing. He's actually winning. And it's opposition. That's what's coming. Now I need to clarify something. Lamb's folk will never receive the wrath of God. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, you will never experience the wrath of God. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for example, for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now hear me carefully in what I'm about to tell you, because a lot of people are confused about this. But listen to this. 
Tribulation saints will be on the receiving end of the wrath of the devil. We will not experience the wrath of God, but we will experience the wrath of the devil. Here's a verse, Revelation 12, 12. A voice in heaven declares, Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he is only a short time. This last three and a half years, this kingdom that is going to be prevailing in its war against saints is going to be the embodiment of the wrath of the devil who's just had his domain diminished to where he's stuck on earth. And he is mad. Here's the bottom line. If there's nothing you get from what I've just said, here it is. A global storm of unprecedented, meaning it's never happened before, prevailing, meaning winning, opposition is coming. It has not arrived, but it is coming. And it will be the ultimate faith test for saints. Daniel sees this, and he is greatly alarmed. He's written down an exact account of it so that we can see it too. So now the question is this. Are you ready for this coming storm? How do I get ready, Jim? What should we do to prepare? Great question. Now, the remaining sermons will help you answer. I'm not going to give you nothing. I will help you with that question a little. The remaining sermons as we work through this section of Daniel are going to help immensely because Daniel didn't just tell us what's coming. He tells us some things about how to get ready, although you already know a major piece, which is Daniel is the embodiment of what we need to be and become if we're going to survive this. The same kind of animosity that Daniel faced is what will be faced by end-day saints. Uh, if you come to the, you know, the Daniel Digging Deeper thing on Wednesday nights, you'll also get some more information, shameless promotion. But I'm going to give you four things that are starting points if you want to be ready for what's coming. Now, I realize that some may say, oh, I don't need to be ready uh, you know, that's not going to happen in my life. Here's step one of preparation. Admit that it is coming. Step out of la-la land. What's la-la land? I actually thought, is there a definition for that? So I looked it up. Here's the definition of la-la land. A euphoric, dreamlike state of someone who is not aware of what is coming. It was in the dictionary. The majority of people on planet Earth are living in la-la land. I mean, you know, I, I look at the Fox News page, and I'm going, here's a top-line article on what did Vanna wear that everybody thinks was, uh, you know, a not nice dress, and we're all wound up about it. That's what matters? <laughs> Do you remember I read 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 5 at the beginning? 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They will turn away their ears from the truth and they will turn aside to myths. They're going to live in la-la land. But Paul says this to Timothy. I didn't read this verse. But you be sober in all things. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's just pick the first one. Be sober in all things. How attentive are you to what's going on when you're drunk? Not so much. (laughs) To be sober means to see what's going on. To acknowledge that what Daniel is describing and what Revelation has reaffirmed is coming. And I need to be ready. The world wants to condition you, to keep you obliviously snuggled up in la-la land. Wake up! The greatest faith test of all time is coming. See that, and you've made the first step. Step two, connect the dots. This one to me is interesting. See the war against God and redefining what is right for what they are. Now, these are some of the characteristics of the beast's kingdom. He's going to redefine what's right and wrong. You know, we're enjoying celebration, sanctity of life Sunday. This culture that is going to come from this kingdom is one in which he says, oh, murder's not murder. That's actually a good thing. He's going to take on God. All this stuff of you people who believe in God, we're not going to have that. That's what he's going to do. To be sober in all things is to actually sort out reality. See what is currently happening in our culture and around the world. And if you've watched, for example, this thing that happened in Malta in this last week, you know what I'm talking about. See what is happening as the on-ramp to the superhorn. This is not progress. These are gathering clouds. There are certain things that our culture is celebrating and saying, this is great, isn't this awesome? Think of it as having, I've got two bins here, bad, and over here I've got a bin that's good. The world says, oh, it's so awesome how we're so liberated and free about things that all those religious people say are right and wrong. That's really good. And I'm saying you got it in the wrong bin. This is not a good thing. Start seeing what is happening in our culture and comparing it to what you see of the beast and what is coming. That's step two. Step three, I I shared this with uh, John before the service, but I'm going to share it with you as well because it relates. There are times like what has happened this week where we say, God, why? I don't understand. Why did that plane crash? And I don't know the answer. But I know who my God is. 
I know that God loves the five in that plane. He loves their family. I also know that God knows what he's doing. And I know that God is capable of doing what love requires. So, just imagine this. God, why? And if God were to indulge me, he would say, well, okay, Jim, let me explain. Because of A, B, C, and D. Yeah, but why did you have to do A, B, C, and D? Because of E, F, G, H, I, J, K. And then I say, but why did you have to do that? And then he said, because of alpha, beta, gamma, delta, etc. And we keep going, and eventually I'm going to go, stop, I can't handle it. And he is going to say, exactly. But I can. Because I love, I know what I'm doing, and I have the power to do what is necessary to promote the good of all of my children. Hear this? So trust me. We are not going to get through what's coming if we don't trust him. And say, God, I know you've got this. I know you've got me. So I trust you. And then there's a fourth thing. Decide who you are. Listen to this passage. This is Revelation 7.14, which is talking about this thing that is coming. And it says, John was looking at a certain group of people and was informed, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, which is a way of saying they successfully navigate this season with their faith intact. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Nobody is going to make it through what's coming if they have not been washed in the blood of the Lamb. What does that mean? Well, that's another way of saying who has said, Jesus, I need you to fix the sin problem. And Jesus says, I died to do precisely that. My blood was poured out in order for your sins to be paid for. The only people who will make it in what's coming are those who have embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and be washed by lamb's blood that was spilled for them at the cross. So what about you? Have you been washed in lamb's blood? Have you said, Jesus, I've got a sin problem and I can't fix it. But I know you can. You died on the cross and poured out your blood so that I, being covered by it, may be cleansed from sin and live together with you for all eternity. If you have never said, I name Jesus as my Savior, I claim his blood as my salvation. You can do that right now, right here. And you will have made the most significant first step to be ready for what is coming. In a few moments, I'm going to pray. I'll give you an opportunity to pray that. For all in this room, stop living in la-la land. It is coming. 
recognize the ways in which our culture is moving toward it and trust him that he has what is needed for you to prevail in that season. And we will keep going through Daniel to learn more about what that looks like. Let's pray. If you have never prayed to receive Jesus Christ and you have never been washed with lamb's blood, you can pray a prayer as simple as this. and You can just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I deserve eternal separation from you. But I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. His blood was poured out as a sacrifice for me. So I am right now, I am naming him as my Savior. And his blood as the means of my salvation. And I am choosing from this day forward to live for his pleasure as his child. For all in this room, I invite you to pray with me this prayer. Father, thank you that you have not left us to wonder what is coming. Thank you that you revealed through Daniel, through John, through others, what we need to know, not just to know about what is coming, but how we can put our faith into the kind of shape that will prevail no matter what the enemy throws at us. Father, we want to learn from you. We're inviting you to tell us whatever we need to hear, whatever we need to know, so that we might be overcomers in what is coming. We pray this in the blessed name of Jesus, who is our Savior. Amen.